Hello, Tom Hogan here. This episode of Mount Hopeless is an interview with myself and my collaborator, Alana Stone, in conversation with Leland Keane, the Artistic Development Manager of Maragong Theatre Company. Alana and I are just gearing up to enter rehearsals before our show, and tickets are on sale. If you want to see Mount Hopeless running September 1st, 2nd and 3rd, visit maragong.com.au. My name's Leland Keane. I'm the Artistic Development Manager here at Marigong Theatre Company. Our company's name, Marigong, reflects the Dharawal word for the Illawarra's region's distinct escarpment, a landmark of supreme cultural importance. This name serves as a constant reminder that our venues rest upon unceded First Nations land. In all that we do, Marigong Theatre Company seeks to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and to show respect to all First Nations people who call our region home. Welcome to Marigong X Conversations. Hello, today I'm with Tom and Alana from Mount Hopeless. Hey guys, how are you doing? Hi Leland. We're here. We're here. We're in the actual room. Again though. Yeah, we've been in here. In and out. out. (laughs) Not doing it again, we're just doing it for the first time, but we've been in and out of this space a lot, I feel. There's been three... Cancellations, three developments yeah, now. Developments, yeah. Because the first one was April 2020 when yeah. the first lockdown happened. So this was like when it became end of days, we were in this room just wondering what the hell was going on. Yeah. I think I actually walked in on the Wednesday or Thursday or something of that week and went, no, you, yeah, we need to. <laughs> we've actually got to get you out of the building now. That was, it was the real proper shutdown point. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then we've been back. <laughs> yep, came back and then had to cancel that one as well. But as a result, we've got to really knuckle, knuckle down on those songs that we've written. <laughs> this has been like the best, the most developed show I've ever been part of. Uh, it should be, by all rights, the best thing we've ever done. That alone is terrifying, yeah. <laughs> um, do you think the exhibition, the ex- expedition took this much planning? Or do you think we're kind of <laughs> Birkin Wills <laughs> metaphors? Oh, it's so good. Like, um, we were just sort of saying the, um, like, even on the day that Birkenwills, the Birkenwills exhibition left Melbourne, like, after, like, by the end of the day, they hadn't actually finished packing yet. Like, they were just like, we're going to leave in the morning. And it was like, at 4 p.m., they're like, cool, almost done, guys. And there's like 20,000 people just watching all these people pack these. And so, yeah, it's just like, they're full of so many delays. And we're just like, yeah, now I guess the show is uh, an apt metaphor just (laughs) for them. So if we fail and they fail, then we've succeeded. Exactly. There is, this is a foolproof musical (laughs) in a way. We can't actually (laughs) fail because failing is succeeding. Yeah. Finally, one of those shows. (laughs) (laughs) No, look, it's been really an amazing year kind of with Merigong and Merigong X and sort of seeing the work, a lot of the work like this that we sort of had in development back in sort of 2020 or work that was in development in 19 Mm. that was scheduled for sort of production in 2020 and seeing those works kind of evolve over that time. Um, Going back 
let, let's talk about where this actually did start. So what was the first kind of, how, how did the show begin? How did the idea I'm come gonna about? I'm going to say that I read a book by Sarah Murgatroyd. Sarah Murgatroyd. Which I can't believe I remembered her name. Um, she, she was a 25-year-old author uh, who wrote, was it called The Dig Tree? The Dig Tree. Yeah. Um, I, wrote, I read that in university, it was kind of being passed around my group of friends as like a good read, uh, which is weird for jazz musicians. But anyway, um, it was just very funny and well-written and I thought this is a great story and I didn't think much more about it in terms of like the depth of meaning that it could actually convey. Um, but this, you know, it was the 2000s, early 2000s, kind of a free love and time. We weren't thinking about anything too seriously back then. But I just, it just sat with me this idea and I, I brought it to Tom because Tom is a doer. Like Tom is one of those people <laughs> you just kind of like tell him an idea um, and he just like he brings book him a space. <laughs> yeah. Book him a space and just let him go. Like give him a few yards of rope and uh, <laughs> no. I think he's Nathan just Nathan Harrison referred to you as the poster boy of Mary Gong X. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah. Oh, I'm a doer. I'm a doer. I'll do it. I'll do it. I just um, yeah, and I knew once he seemed excited about the idea that that it might actually happen. Um, yeah, and what was your journey, Tom? You really, yeah, you, yeah, you, you going like, oh, it was in two thousands. I thought you read it. It's like three <laughs> years ago, I think, when you were like, let's do a musical, and I was like, no, I don't, don't, a, don't really like musicals. <laughs> B, I don't really know what were to be about. You're like, what about this book I like? I was like, oh, I'll give it a read. I'm like, yeah, this is a musical. We'll do it. Uh, book the space. I reckon we can. I think it was it three years ago, 2019 maybe? I think it was 2018, yeah, okay. judging by my voice memos. That's when we started writing the actual musical. So I feel like I, we even may have t- talked about it before that. Got it. But, um, yeah, it, and, and we should mention here that the word musical is probably not what everyone is imagining a musical to like this is not hairspray this is like two people <laughs> we don't even use hairspray yeah. ever <laughs> we barely use deodorant no this is just two people in a room with our instruments and some jokes and a story that's that we think is quite funny but also has um some very relevant sort of le- deeper levels that are resonating quite strongly in our modern world. So originally, it really, you really just were thinking of it as a, a kind of small show, weren't you? It was sort of the oh, songs and yeah, it I, hadn't really been conceived that you'd sort of find yourself into the Bruce Gordon Theatre and it was much more, you were thinking Red Rattler or somewhere like that. It was a small style I, I gig. I was thinking pub gig. Yeah. Like it was, well, let's write some, like write some songs and we'll, you know, have some banter between. Mm. Um, but um, I can't leave well enough alone, I guess, in that, that <laughs> book, like Sarah Murgatroyd's book was so good and academic and just led us into like I just I, I started reading so much more and I was trying to find different perspectives and so like um there's there's sort of two sort of camps there's um one guy Dave Phoenix who's like the president of the Birkin Wills Society and he's written like papers and academic papers on like their journey um and like so not not quite justifying them but being like yeah they they their decisions weren't as crazy as it sort of seems and then there's like I was like, well, where's the indigenous perspective, and how can we find that information? And there is that, that information is sort of out there of um, like those stories being sort of passed down. And once you've got these at least three different avenues to read from, which ended up being a lot more, obviously by the end. <laughs> once at this point, I'm just like, well, now I'm invested. Like, let's figure it out. It's like it's no longer just it just can't be a pub gig, and you actually sort of need like we can joke about them, but it's like, oh yeah, there's there's so much more in that. 
like yeah. in them just existing and even people knowing that they exist like why i guess is such a huge question for me yeah because because it's such a myth isn't it like so so i guess the 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 taught narrative really of Birkin Wills is, is is sort of this false. It's it's you know we you know what we're taught in schools or you know certainly what I was taught about these kind of heroes who went off to the mm. bush and tried you know failed but valiantly failed in this. It's actually yeah, complete the, bullshit. Like heroic. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I never learned about them in school though. Or at least mm. I, didn't, I, I didn't pay attention in that class. <laughs> but everyone else seems to have. So. Yeah, what were you taught, Alana? Like, I, I just feel like with a lot of those early colonial stories, we got we got one part that was kind of like the bits we could look at and be really proud of in a way and look at the hardships and how they dealt with those unfamiliar environments, which it still is. I don't want to take the merit away from being forced into an unfamiliar environment and having to survive. Everyone's fascinated with with survival stories, but I think there's um, the things that they leave out are the really the really interesting and important bits that are that are sort of sad and funny. Um, and this was like one of the most well financed expeditions of that of all time at that time. Um, there were twenty four men. It wasn't just Birkenwells. There were sixty you know, camels and horses. There was they dragged a bathtub. They brought oak dining tables and Chinese gongs and ammunition he had and a case for his hat, for instance. Yeah. That wasn't good enough. He's like, oh, I'll also bring the case, like that kind of stuff. It's just, it's like, that's absurd. And you just don't hear about like, oh yeah, they were like, from day one, they were doomed to fail almost, which is why they were packing for so long as well. Yeah. (laughs) And you just think, well, I only really found out in the last maybe decade that Captain Cook was eaten (laughs) um, in Hawaii. And those, those facts are really kind of give everything a whole new perspective on, on the, this history and when I was in primary school I certainly only learnt white Australian history we certainly did not know anything about what we didn't we just that it was sort of like a side um side story that wasn't really in any way detailed that the, the, the in that people lived here and indigenous people had civilizations and and language and you know the complexity of that was never entered into at all so I think I think maybe I'm trying to address that. Mm-hmm. I have um, a, a, an Indigenous brother-in-law and I just also felt like a huge, incredible gap, gap in my knowledge. So I think I'm tr- on some level trying to atone <laughs> for that. Well, it's also what we know now as well, isn't it? You know, we, we know a lot more yeah. than, than what we did particularly, you know, when, when I think I went to school in terms of what was taught. You just didn't have that narrative, just didn't exist within, yeah. within the education system. And even just like on a day-to-day basis, I mean, maybe it's just something in like, like theatre and the arts specifically, but you're always questioning your own identity, like generally. Yeah. And it's like the like the zeitgeist of discussion is about that as well. Um, I, I feel like it wasn't just so much in like the education system as much as like, like media has changed um, in general with how you're talking about um, people in Australia and what that means. And even on like very mainstream programs now. And if that is the discussion point, then like the theatre and the art should be even more in depth or more academic yep. and more questioning or challenging mm. to get to the next level perhaps. Yeah. Um, which I th- which I think is what we're sort of trying to do is that it's like yes now yeah we all obviously agree that there's systematic problems and like what can a show do to address that or 
It's just like, how do you tell that story at all? Is the story worth tell, telling? So, look, it's been interesting because the work's been in development with us for three years and I've watched you guys revisit the work from, you know... The, wrestle with the work. Wrestle yes. with... Yeah, re- yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and kind of, I, I've seen a lot of those arguments come up and, and between the two of you and I've seen that kind of, that sort of digging deeper and deeper into mm-hmm. the show. That's now become sort of something behind the show, but... I guess the initial sort of farce of the story is something that's just a lot of people just don't know, or, or it, it, it's it's so stupid it seems unreal. Yeah, the fact that they had bathtubs and oak tables and the story around how the actual ex, uh, expedition sort of took place as a as a dare from an actress. As you, oh yeah, he was yeah. Burke's idea was to like he sort of didn't even really he had no skills and didn't have any experience. He sort of was just trying to essentially flirt with someone way too young for him. Mm. Um, it, was like, it was like, oh, yeah, I can impress her with this, uh, you know, task that I'll sort of do. And it's like, that's, if, that's, if that's the start of this, like... like what, it's doomed. What, yeah, it's like, what, what is the point? Like, what, yeah, I think that's it. It's just, it's definitely doomed. Like, there can't be anything, what good can possibly come out of that, especially if it's, like, talking about, like, the 1860s white colonial Australia amongst, like, the landscape... Um, and the the on the effect of that over the you know hundred seven hundred several hundred years since then, like it can't possibly be good, right? Like, <laughs> hey, we've all done crazy things for love. That's, that's true, that's <laughs> you right. know. But In mostly, we just do the things that we're good at rather than things we have no skills. Yes, at. that's true. <laughs> Yeah, I moved to Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. Like, right. in my twenties. <laughs> it seemed like yeah, a good Alana, choice. You at the and time. I both got into jazz, like that. Yeah, because like everyone a... loves jazz. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, not a jazz musical, by the way. It sounds, <laughs> it sounds like that. Um, but okay, so to sort of before we kind of go into how that side or, or the investigation into sort of the material itself. The songs were the first. That's where we began, yeah, the, rather than the narrative. Like what, what came first, the, the narrative or the songs? How, what jumped out in terms of the writing process? I think we had to, yeah, I think we, eventually we had to like realise, okay, so what's the show? What is the story? And then to fill it in with songs. And so they, they were, the very early, we were, we were so, the first time we met up um, at Pact in Erskineville, I think, it was like, yeah, we can knuckle this out. And we already had a kind of shape and got the songs out, like at least the idea of what those songs should be pretty quickly. Mm. I think knowing that they were going to be together we, from day one, it was like story, song, like what, what's required, what can a song do? Especially like, like we both know musicals and they're like what the role of a song is. So we sort of questioned that a bit as well. Mm. Yeah. I remember like the songwriting process being quite fun and fairly um, in a way we came in and – I don't remember whose idea it was, but I think we wanted to make the songs sound like um, Aussie rock songs. Mm-hmm. So um, the we, we Inland Sea, which is the first song in the show, yeah, is like, is like a Hunderson Collector's yeah, yeah, ripoff, like, yeah, I think. So it's the Grail, Search for the Holy the, Grail. Search for like, Holy Grail. Yeah. So so a lot of the songs, <laughs> Human Kindness is has got an in excess um, sort of string ripoff, and they're all even if it's just a subconscious thing, we want the audience to hear the song and go, oh, that reminds me of something that I know and love, mm. but I'm not sure why. And then at the very end of the show, we're actually just going to do an Angels cover. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's Aussie rock. Like it is 80s Aussie rock. That's that's the style. But I do remember with Tom, it it, it felt like in retrospect that these that the songs came together quite easily and quickly. <laughs> 
maybe that's the benefit of hindsight. Um, and also I'm terrible at thinking of the overarching narrative. I'm terrible at standing back and looking at things on a macro level. I'm very good at zooming in like tunnel vision style. Um, so Tom was just great at pulling it back and, and going like, what do we actually need? Where are these moments? And, you know, having worked in the theatre, I think um, was really helpful f- for me to have him there to kind of keep me on track. But, yeah, I just felt like once we were in the nitty-gritty of songwriting, it was just like it felt yeah, very it fun felt, and easy. Yeah, that felt – yeah, that was definitely the least stressful part of it, hey? Yeah. Like, we, I think we were just desperate to write, write and play the songs. We're like, cool, we, like that's the thing that you and I have both – can do good at, and I think that's how. To <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are both very good yeah. at that. Okay, um, but it I think it's hard to say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's it's that's kind of how it arrived to me. I guess mm. like when you first came to me, I was like, oh yeah, like here are these rocking, quite hilarious, you know, you know, um, songs that you've kind of put together. And I think if when we go back to 2019 or 2020, I was like, yeah, okay, this is on next year. Mm. Like yeah, we're, we're good yeah. to go, you know, and, yeah. and then suddenly we did get hit by COVID and all of the things stopped and because we, we were we were generally ready to go. Yeah. Like we were like, yeah, April is when it was on. Like we were like coming, yeah. It was like we we even had like the outline of some sort of script going like, yeah, we can sort of figure this out. We can totally get there. And it was like wasn't going to be a big thing, but it was definitely going to be a thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that sort of process then being paused by COVID started to open up I guess a deeper conversation around as you sort of started to dig deeper into the sort of story writing the, the, the storytelling process and the narrative around the First Nations you know part of what that that story is in in, in the Birkin Wills what was the journey for you guys then because you, you did then sort of step off and go okay we're actually going to go and do some other research I think we funded you to do some mm. podcasts and some conversations yeah. and stuff like that what, what was that process um like, I think I was hyper aware that we were still just two white people telling a colonial story. Like, yeah. I was always there. And so, it was like, in my head, I was like, as long as we address that on stage, it'll be fine. And, like, as soon as, the more you think about it, you're like, that is not fine. That is not a solve. Like, there, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't matter what we read and, like, how, yeah. I think, I think and that, that's kind of what the show kind of addresses is, like, how, what is the show actually, is it proposing to solve anything? And what can, you know, two essentially rock musicians do? Mm-hmm. Um, which obviously is, a, like, we know that that is, I guess that part of me was like, there was such a realisation that we knew that it was doomed to kind of fail as well. Or at least I sort of saw that, that poetry was in the air. Mm. Is that it was a risk that could only, to get through it would kind of be a miracle. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and and we tried to solve that. Um, we brought on, I guess, Curly Saunders, who um, cultural kind of advisor. Yeah, she kind of became a consultant to us. But then we were very aware of not wanting to make her role tokenistic, and we talked, yeah, just about how we can use this basically as an engine for doing good. But we're still <laughs> confused because it, because ultimately this musical could be just an incredibly silly, raucous, fun time, kind of like a, a, a yeah pub show. And then, um, but I, but I don't think that's enough because ultimately we're just kind of adding to the the sheer volume of of white 
colonial stories out there. And we yeah, need... Regardless of like how well-intentioned, yeah. I guess, which is fun to play with almost. Like it's every day is a wrestle, but we're like, okay, if we're well-intentioned white people, oh, already that's bad. Like already <laughs> that phrase has screwed us. And like that is such a, like that wrestle is should be tangible, I guess. But there's something in the sort of juxtaposition of Burke and Wills and the story and the journey itself and what you're actually experiencing trying to create the show. Like I actually quite love what you just said that, it's doomed to fail. Yeah. And, but because I, th- I yeah. think actually what's become really interesting about the work is sort of slightly watching that and, and watching you guys as artists go, okay, well, how does that wrestle itself mm. out? Mm. Um, and I know you guys have, you know, had conversations between the two of you because it does. It raises your own political views and your political questions mm. as, as individuals and as artists. And actually then seeing that kind of placed on stage, is, it's it started to become a very interesting, beyond just that, oh, this is just a rock and pub rock yeah. kind of you know, show, as you sort of say. Uh, yeah, also I think it's just like, I was just comparing it to, like since, since then I'd also toured a show of mine, which um, Love Song Dedications without Richard Mercer is such a, it was like a, a lovely kind of joyous, we sort of deal with politics through love songs and it was very sweet and like, it was it was like by far my favorite show to work on. It was lovely, and I was like, oh man. Whereas this show, Mount Hopeless, is like, oh, it's a challenge. Like that is like the polar opposite end of the kind of artistic spectrum. Of one is like a like a pure joy ball, and this is cool. Every time I work on it, work has to be done like in, a, mm. in, a, in a much more um, confronting, gristly way, <laughs> profound yeah. way, yeah. because we have to essentially every time we come in to work on the ending of, particularly the ending of this script, we have to sit in discomfort yeah. and, and we have to talk about our privilege and how we're not really entitled <laughs> yeah. to tell this story, but then we don't know how to kind of make space for someone else to tell the story yeah. because that that's just a conundrum, doomed you know, fail, it's doomed, doomed to fail. To fail. Yeah. So, I think that's probably our our lot. <laughs> <laughs> Come and watch that. <laughs> Look, it is. I, I think that that I think that idea of sitting in discomfort and being in that space is a, it, um, you know, it's such a strong it's such a strong thing, and it's been really sort of interesting to watch. I guess the works across Merigong X that have kind of gone on this journey of this prolonged development. I think each of them that I've seen come to the stage have found themselves going deeper into what the work could be and into more difficult territory than oh, if totally. we had have just turned them around and gone, that's there, you know. Like I worked on Sorry, Sorry, Sorry as well and it was just like in the room, it was like, oh, yeah, this is – in order to make this thing about apologies, there has to be genuine things to apologise for. And it's like, oh, and it just – it fills the space. It filled the energy of the performance and it then as a result – all the rehearsals are so bound in meaning, meaning and yeah. tension, and that's just something that I, I, I think two years ago we hadn't anticipated being this show. I guess. Well, you can't start writing something in 2018 and then have the fires <laughs> and then have the pandemic and have Black Lives Matter and all that stuff happen yeah. and not relook at whatever you're doing during that time. You've had a kid with a, and have a yeah, baby. You've, you've like had a child, like yeah, totally. yeah, and just go like, what the hell are we doing? You know. Look, I, I think it is, and I think you know we've all been affected I was saying to you guys sort of before we started that I haven't been through a rehearsal period yet that hasn't been impacted mm. and there is this sense and I think when Tom you talk about that kind of deeper 
where artists should be looking. You know, I'm finding it interesting at the moment because a lot of the world just wants to move on. Yeah. And a lot of the world just wants things to be, and even in our industry, it's like, oh, no, you know, this is your rehearsal period and now you've got to present the show and it's got to, without recognition that there has been significant change in our lives in the basic processes of the way that we work and the way we relate to the world. Or even our capacity to, our bandwidth of thinking about it, I think is really, that's noticeably different, I think. And that's profound. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, I I was just thinking in terms of like a traumatised civilization. I wonder how that fits with with how people respond to big events like that because I'm sure there is a period where everyone's just like, let's pretend that nothing happened, you know, 1920s or whatever, where it's just like, you know, trying to dance the pain away essentially. Um, Doomed to fail, right? (laughs) Doomed to fail. (laughs) Yeah. Can I, there's there's one of the, one of the, when you talk about Nicole like oh yeah we need yeah, to yeah, yeah. that's a huge so as part of it um, when we were talking to Curly Curly was like well you just, you know getting someone else involved is, is not a, not a problem um, at all it's just like as long as you can sort of conceive it right we found um, Nicole Smead who um, recently sort of sort of found her indigenous heritage as well like her links and her family in that um, and as a sound designer like layers vocals and things like that. And since then, she has, she, like, she has done the Birkenwills Trail since then and has, you know, got field recordings, learnt language along the way and absorbed parts of our script and have, like, has created, like, design to fill in all the gaps that is basically impossible for us to say. And it's such a, it almost seems like a cliche going, like, oh, and the design is another character. And it's like, oh, if we actually make that a conscious decision of, like, no, the sound is actually kind of like profound, profoundly impacting just the way you tell the story. Then it is just as strong as us, almost. Um, and we just try. I think that's that's what essentially this period is: is making sure we've got that design and that element is also like that is kind of that wrestle on stage as well. Like, yep. doesn't matter what songs we write, um, there is some sort of real deep truth in the show now, and that's kind of. That's that. That's that's like a huge relief of having this other like third sort of person, mm. and that's only come about. This is that's really we're talking about the last stage, isn't it? That's it's almost yeah. post the last development yeah, that that yeah, conversation, yeah. particularly with Nicole's gone on and her journey into that space. She's such an incredible artist, exactly. Um, so ha- that has that kind of yeah, because like that's not something we've spoken about really. I guess that's what we were going to talk about, sort of in the in the coming weeks as you start to move towards rehearsal. But that's become this other sort of element. Of- yeah, in that we sort of knew that that was we were, we, were, we we were worried about how to depict landscape and you know the actual sort of environment because that's inherent. And we're like, oh, a projection does a tiny portion of that, and we mm. can say it was really dry that day. And it's like, <laughs> well, what is that? And how do you actually make that? And it's like, why actually we shouldn't be in control of the landscape. Like that's, if ultimately Alana and I represent Burke and Wills in any, any kind of way or like then, how, yeah, we sort of do allow the landscape to sort of engulf Burke and Wills, I guess. It's kind of the root of it. Um, and so Nicole just took it on herself to do the, the track. She wrote to me and, and like it was about a month ago now. She's just like, hey, if I apply to do this thing, I was like, that sounds like I will find wow. it myself. Like, yeah. Like that's a – so at least like the music alone already has like weight and is doing the exact same thing that like Alana and I's role does, I suppose. So it's that's like another sort of wrestle that is embedded in the show now. And I think that's really solving some problems throughout and it's really how it comes together will be a joy 
Yeah, at least sonically, I think this will be a real joy yeah, to behold. Totally, um, but also like yeah, challenging. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm going to Broken Hill tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah, I'm going to go check out Menindi where um Co- like Cooper's Creek and the Dig Tree was. So I'm I'm going to check out that area as well and just come back and offer you a little bit of dirt. Great, Tom. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> and we'll just we'll just pour it on stage. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll be like, well, you didn't get to go, yeah. soz, but here's some sand. But I've read sand. about it a lot. <laughs> 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 it'll, be, it'll be next, mate. Exactly, you'll go, exactly. you'll go exactly. after next, this. Next development uh, <laughs> for this show. <laughs> yep. Oh, no, no more. Let's get the show on. <laughs> Look, I think there's, there is that as well of getting it on and mm. kind of getting it to an audience. You know, we've had a couple of tests where we've had people in for the developments and it's been polarising in those audiences, which I, I, I think is fantastic. You know, mm-hmm. we've had audiences who have reacted to one way or reacted to the content in another and I think that that's a wonderful thing. That should be what a good piece of theatre does. But that's amazing. I'm really excited to see what Nicole's done and how that comes together. But that's really what you guys are now going into the rehearsal period for. Yeah, yeah? and just trying to – for us to learn our parts to the point that, we, like, that we're comfy with it all. Mm. Essentially, and then there's like and filling filling it out with that design as well. Yeah, getting me to do some convincing acting will be the next challenge. I mean, me too. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got you this beautiful piano. Oh, so can't wait, um, oh, just come for the piano alone. It's a bright white baby grand. <laughs> Midi triggered. It's uh, it's it's something. It's something. Something to behold. But maybe my guitar will be particularly special. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, guys, I can't wait to get this one on stage. It's the second last work of the Merry Going X program this year. Um, uh, I'm sure it's going to be a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. Much more beautiful than sorry, sorry, sorry. I have to apologise for that show again. <laughs> God, I loved that show. That was so good. It was yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad you, you got to be on stage for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was great fun. Um, Alana, Tom, Rockin, can't wait to see you in Thanks here. so much, Leland. Thanks, Leland. All right, guys. If you want to hear more from the Merigong podcast, check the links in the show notes. Big thanks to our sound designer, Nicole Smead, for the Mount Hopeless theme. Come and see her work in context at the Mount Hopeless show, September 1st, 2nd and 3rd, 2022, at Merigong Theatre Company, IPAC Wollongong. Visit marigong.com.au for more information. Thank you.